What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revolution walked into a brand new stadium on Saturday up against the defending MLS Cup champion Columbus Crew and came out with a point, but not before New England built up and lost a two-goal lead. Goals from Tejan Buchanan and Gustavo Bo were canceled out by Jayasi Zardes' goal and an unfortunate own goal off the head of Andrew Farrell. I'm Greg Johnstone and joining me today for the first time this season is Julian Cardillo of the Revs Confidential Podcast. Julian, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm crossing over into the dark side. Yeah, in, in the words of Mr. Peanut Butter from BoJack Horseman, what is this, uh, a crossover episode? So, uh, I don't know if you get that reference. I assume three or four of our listeners get that reference, but I've been waiting to make that joke for years, and I finally get to, so I'm really excited. Yeah, don't tell Frank. I'm cheating on him. <laughs> uh, it, your secret is safe with me, Julian. But, uh, Julian, this was a game of highs and lows. As I mentioned, the Revs kind of silenced the crowd, came out to a 2-0 first-half lead, and then slowly blew it away. This is the fourth straight game we've seen from the Revolution where they've conceded multiple goals, which I think a lot of people kind of expected were maybe not a strength, but I don't think you know defense was that big of a concern coming into the season, and now it's a big question on everyone's mind. Um, after this game, what are your thoughts about the back line, and are you concerned about the way this defense is playing? A little bit. It seems right now that they are struggling to defend leads. Um, it's now four games in a row where they've also conceded two or more goals. Um, and so, they're, I mean, they're still top of the Eastern Conference, but I think that there are teams in the top three or top five of the conference who probably defend better than New England. And I don't think it's super sustainable. Um, and I think that Bruce Arena has a few levers he probably needs to turn, not just in the back line, but maybe with the whole configuration with how the team transitions and is able to kind of get back and help defending. Yeah, and, you know, I think Matt Turner usually, you know, stands on his head a lot, and he certainly did in the New York City FC game, but lately there have been some spots where even he he's put in some very, very unfortunate scenarios where he doesn't have much of a chance. So um, I think this, this defense is... Really, really concerning. It's something we've talked about the last couple of podcasts. Um, and one person that I think a lot of fans were upset with was Andrew Farrell. The highlight that you're going to see over and over again that we have seen over and over again the past few days is uh, the own goal, which glanced off his head. And he turned around. Um, he was trying to track down an attacker, and he kind of turned away from the ball. And the ball, unfortunately, bounces off of his head. Matt Turner was out of goal you know, going to chase down the ball and, and try to uh, win the, the loose ball. And unfortunately, Andrew Farrell heads it back towards goal and it goes in. Um, how much blame for that 2-2 draw do you think Andrew Farrell uh, deserves? Yeah, I, I think it was an unfortunate moment, obviously. And um, 
it, it's tough to answer a question like that because there there were so many moments where I felt like the revolution lost points in this game. Um, and it wasn't just that one play, even though that play was really important. I think even Bruce Arena said after the game that if they hadn't given up that goal before halftime that Jossie Zardes scored, they, they probably walk away with the full three points. And then on that play itself, you know, mistakes happen. Weird, weird bounces and deflections happen. And um, I think that Farrell being more alert probably negates that situation entirely. But I'm more upset with how both he and Turner handled the clearance. I don't understand why that was such a tough ball to steer. I'm more, more concerned with that than the actual deflection that, you know, came off his head and sent the ball back toward goal. Um, just like everything from the communication to the execution of the clearance just was really, really botched. Um, and I, if I'm going to blame Farrell for anything on that play, it's more so that. Well, I, I, we can get to his overall performance in a second because uh, I have some thoughts too, and they they kind of echo what you just said. Uh, and I, I kind of wanted to come, I wanted to lead off with this a little bit because I, I want to come to Andrew Farrell's defense a little bit. Um, I don't think it was his best game overall this season, or the best game we've ever seen from Andrew Farrell. But I think he's getting some unnecessary heat. But specifically on that play, um, I think that the overwhelming sentiment was that that was a major error on Farrell's part. And really that was just the unluckiest play. I think I've ever seen where it hits off his head and Turner is just far enough out of goal and his momentum is taking him uh, away from goal so much that, you know, it's really a freak accident. And I don't think that necessarily reflects how good of a player Andrew is. So um, yeah, that, that was a very unfortunate moment. It's very unfortunate that it cost them two points um, the clear, it's interesting that you bring that up because I've seen a lot of debate over whether or not Farrell should have stayed out of the way on that one. Um, if he should have tracked it down, um, it seems like you, I mean, I think the bigger issue was that neither Turner or Farrell seemed to necessarily call for it, but it, I mean, it, it, it was also really close. I don't think that's a play they really practiced. So I kind of understand the mishap overall. Um, am I, am I wrong in assuming that maybe that was just kind of a freak play where, not necessarily there's no blame all the way around, but it's such a funky play that it's kind of hard to blame, you know, defenders because that's not necessarily a situation they're put in. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a freak play. And um, it's also why I say that you can't put so much blame just on Farrell. Like, you can break the play down and Monday morning quarterback it and think about, well, how could this have been avoided? But that doesn't change the fact that the revolution were up two one at the time instead of being up two nothing because they let in that goal before halftime. And I also agree that Farrell's getting probably more heat than he deserves. I mean, in the weeks leading up to this game, while they were still conceding, you know, two, three goals a game, there were some people saying that Farrell needed to be in the conversation for national team camp. Now all of a sudden he's the goat, um, not the greatest of all time, but just like the goat as in like, <laughs> like like uh, sort of the, 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 the ass at the party, I guess you would say. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I, I, not, to, not to go like off on, on a tangent, but I, I think that the criticism of a lot of reps players, and I've seen this of Farrell, is just really inconsistent. And I don't think it, 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 it serves him well, right, to, to be criticized for such, for what really amounts to a freak play. Right. It, well, and if you really want to go through this game again and, and rewatch it, which I, I had to watch this 
um, not live, which I think gave me a little bit more of a perspective because I was expecting Andrew Farrell to have a horrendous game and miss tackles left and right and, you know, bring people down in the box and make really dumb fouls. And he, he had a few bad moments really early in the game. There was a play where he missed a tackle. I think Polster wins the ball back uh, and Farrell has the ball and then he tries to pass it off to Massiel and he turns it over. The ball's intercepted and it leads to a shot that's just wide of the post. Um, and that to me was maybe Farrell's worst play of the game where he was kind of sloppy. He just seemed a little not up for it, which is not what you need from your veteran presence on the back line. Uh, and he, he kind of made a couple of mistakes early, but there weren't mistakes littered throughout this game. He had some bad moments, but he also had some good moments. There was the, around the 50th minute, there was a low cross into the box um, that he kind of made a diving uh, slide at, and he cleared it out pretty safely. Um, he, he had a few nice plays in this game, um, but Again, when you're watching the, the replay, you're going to see the ball glance off of his head, which, again, is a freak play. He's turned he's turned around from it because he's trying to keep up with Zardes down the wing. Um, and, yeah, some people were blaming Turner for coming out. Some people were blaming Farrell for heading it in, um, even though it was completely unintentional. Uh, and, and some people were blaming Farrell for getting in Turner's way for trying to clear it, which I'm still a little torn on because I think if Farrell doesn't chase it down and that ball goes in, he looks more or less lazy for not trying to make a play on the ball. So even though he is kind of pushed into the ball and, and Matt block Turner clearing the ball, um, I, I, it's very hard for me to come down on Andrew Farrell uh, for, you know, the own goal and, and for, for it wasn't as horrendous a performance as I think some people are making it out to be. Um, but Andrew Farrell has also been in the news recently for making his 250th appearance. I think a lot of people are starting to talk about his kind of legacy, quote unquote. And I think that's where a lot of the discussion comes in, because I think there's a lot of anti-Andrew Farrell sentiment. Um, but I think that's just how it is with every uh, long-term member of the revolution. So, Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's probably a good point. And, um, you know, I would say before, pre-Bruce Arena, Andrew Farrell was not the defender that you wanted to build a back line around, but he has very much become that bringing in inexperienced fullbacks who have uh, under Bruce Arena done very well, Brandon by and Dewan Jones. Um, and then Henry Kessler and John Bell who have both shown great promise. But in terms of being like that veteran leader at the back, Andrew Farrell has never been that player. He's been sort of the auxili- auxiliary defender who don't get me wrong, brings a lot to the table. Um, but there was always sort of this idea that he was maybe a little bit clumsy, that he wasn't always on his game, that he stayed on the ball too long. And I think Bruce Arena has really helped him clear that up. Um, and he, to be fair, has been defending quite consistently for the last year and a half. And I think it, it comes down to having a real transformative coach and a cohesive back line that isn't changing week after week after week, like we saw with Brad Friedel and Jay Heaps. Um, and ultimately, I, I think it's served Farrell well. And I think people just need to kind of see Andrew Farrell for what he is, which is a more than serviceable MLS caliber center back. Now, we, getting into some of the negative responses, we did get some questions on Andrew Farrell that we're going to go through. I think we might have already kind of given away our hand on where we land on these. But uh, Powder Hungry asks us on Twitter, why is Farrell starting? Uh, and Macho on Discord says, should Farrell start against Toronto after his disaster class today? So obviously two questions that are a little harder on Andrew Farrell than we are. Um, and, and not to say, I also want to take a moment and say, not that I'm like the world's greatest Andrew Farrell fan, because I think this team does need another center back. And I'm not opposed to rotating Andrew Farrell in and out. I, I'm not necessarily, you know, of the belief that Andrew Farrell should be starting, you know, 35 games a year for this team. Um, but 
with that said, um, getting to these questions about why is Farrell starting and should he be starting against Toronto? Um, Julian, what are your thoughts on that? Bruce Arena has stressed rotating players in and out, but Andrew Farrell has held down that spot game in and game out. Um, do you think we see him against Toronto on Wednesday? And kind of expanding on that, do you think he continues to start every single game going forward? Well, only Bruce Arena knows uh, if Andrew Farrell is going to start on uh, on Wednesday. However, should he? Should I he? I should this, say, should he? I, I I think this is a good opportunity to to rotate Farrell, and I will also pivot and say that he should be starting most of the games this season. He's an experienced defender. He has had a good season. Um, he he's been honestly quite prolific under Bruce Arena. Has really stepped up his game. He's an important veteran presence in the locker room as well. I don't think we talk about that enough, um, especially just sort of personality-wise with these players. But in the immediate term, I, I think this is a player that needs some rotation. Um, the, the squad's going to get rotated a little bit anyway with, with Matt Turner and Tejan Buchanan going international duty. Um, and you have some good veteran players waiting in the wings, if not, you know, promising young players as well. Uh, I'd really like to see AJ Delagarza get a chance at the back. Um, Toronto is the, arguably the worst team in the league. Uh, I would, I could be talked into, this wouldn't be my first choice, but I could be talked into having a John Bell, Henry Kessler pairing. Um, and then further down the line, this is the summer and Bruce arena has opportunities to add talent, which I, I'm sure we'll get into later, but, Ultimately, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if Andrew Farrell sits a game. I agree with you that you know he's not necessarily the type of player who needs to start all 35 games. Um, but in terms of just doing some rotation and giving the back line a different look, especially after they've, they've had the streak where they're giving up so many goals, like, yeah, rest Farrell, bring in a veteran like De La Garza who knows the league, who can lock things down and have him pair either next to Bell or Kessler for the Toronto game. Yeah, and and I don't want to take up too much time repeating everything that you just said, but this game against Toronto that is Wednesday, two days from now, it's a shorter week. You have a long period after that. Uh, I I think this is a really good opportunity to get De La Garza some minutes at home where you're going to be on the front foot against a bad team. They just fired their coach, and I think some people kind of speculate that there might be an effect of oh, you know, the bad coach is out. Now the team is going to show up and have a good performance. That's kind of a thing in the NFL where when a bad team fires a really bad coach, you know, it's kind of the Bill O'Brien effect. Like the Houston Texans won comfortably the the week after they fired Bill O'Brien. I think some people might think that Toronto is going to come in and, you know, be a little more, you know, rejuvenated um, with a new coach. But I'm not so sure about that. And I don't know if they're going to come in and, you know, fight – really hard against New England who hasn't dropped a point at home all season. So this is a really good spot for Farrell to sit, get someone else some minutes. Um, we we did get a question from James Downing who said, I understand Bruce wants to start a veteran center back alongside Bell or Kessler. Um, it probably shouldn't be Farrell for a little while. Where is De La Garza? And I kind of agree with that. I'm, I'm not that I'm surprised De La Garza isn't getting a ton of minutes because I don't think his role was ever to be a rotation. I think he was a backup. Um, but I think De La Garza could fill the role that Farrell plays very well. And I think Farrell probably needs a break at this point in time. So in my opinion, we should see De La Garza um, on Wednesday against Toronto. And I think it sounds like you're in agreement on that. Um, but going forward, I think Farrell, if you want to have a deep run in the playoffs, 
until you bring in someone new, I think Farrell is the guy over De La Garza. Um, unless, I don't know, Farrell declines massively or De La Garza has a really standout performance. I don't know if there's anything that's going to convince me of that. Um, real quick, Julian, you mentioned you're not a huge fan of uh, Bell and Kessler. Give our listeners a reason to why you're not a big fan of that pairing. Oh, it's not, not so much that, that I'm not a big fan of it. I, I, I could be talked into having two very young defenders. But it's the it's I've kind of said this point, too. It's more of the youth and inexperience. And Farrell kind of gives you a veteran presence uh, along the, a youthful back line. Is that kind of the line of the thinking of why we haven't seen it so far? Absolutely. And, you know, just just to go off on, on a slight tangent, back in the Heaps era, uh, Jose Gonzalez would would always pair with either Stephen McCarthy or A.J. Soares. A.J. Soares and Stephen McCarthy seldom, if at all, played next to each other. And it was it was a it was a it was an experience thing. Uh, you needed Gonzalez to be one of the center backs, just like you need a, a veteran guy right now, the most veteran guy with the best legs. Um, who can who has who's closest to full fitness and can go the ninety is Andrew Farrell. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. One more thing though on this back line, and it's something I've mentioned on previous podcasts, is that the window is coming up soon. I think it opens on Wednesday, uh, so the same day of the Toronto game, that secondary transfer window opens up. In my mind, at the top of the shopping list is a center back. Not that the three center backs we have are terrible, but I don't think any of them are standout performers. And I think the back line could use some reinforcements, especially in the, the center center back pairings there. Um, do you think we see a center back come in uh, over the summer for the revolution? I think Bruce is probably keeping all his options open. I do think we'll see some movement on the international transfer market, but I, I don't know if it's going to be in defense. And it's because Bruce has been really reticent to add too many defenders at once. Uh, we actually entered the season, I feel like most of us in the Revolution Media Corps, saying that on day one of the 2021 season, they were at least one center back short. And Bruce, every time this has been brought up, has said, nope, things are good the way they are. We're happy with Della Garza, Farrell, Bell, and Kessler. Um, so I don't know how much of a hurry he's in. I, I sort of think he's approaching this recent defensive snag more along the lines of tactics than personnel. Whether that's the right thing, I don't know. Uh, I personally would like to see them go out and add another center back, but I just don't know if Bruce shares that, that same point of view. Yeah, it's a very good point. And I, I agree with everything you said there about coming into the season, you know, one center back shorter or whatnot. And, you know, one thing that I think coming into the season, we thought Henry Kessler was a sure thing, and we're not even really sure of that anymore. So in my mind, the two biggest question marks are the left center back and the right center back uh, on this team right now. But um, Bruce seems to have a lot of faith in John Bell and Andrew Farrell, uh, and to a degree, Henry Kessler, although we've seen less of Henry Kessler than I think we expected. But um, yeah, you, you bring up a very good point that maybe Bruce is expecting them to develop over the season, and hopefully they catch their stride going into the playoffs. Um, I had a very quick take uh, and I just wanted to kind of bring people down to earth because I think there's a lot of negativity. Uh, you know, blowing a two-goal lead is never fun, especially with the way the Revs have been clinging on to leads or lack thereof lately. Uh, but I think the glass, I, I want to take the glass half-full approach here and that the Revs are surviving their tough battles. Um, they went into Philadelphia. They tied in Philadelphia. They beat Columbus at home. They beat New York City FC on the road. They tied Columbus in a stadium opening game on the road. Uh, in which Columbus really needed three points. This was, I, I think, a really important game for Columbus to come away with three points than for the Revs to come away with a draw. So 
the result isn't there, but you know, right now I think the Rebs can go toe to toe with anyone. There isn't a single game they're not going to be in. They seem to be battle tested. Um, Twelve games in, we got twenty four points. No one has taken a point from the Rebs at home, so this isn't a finished product. But some questions remain unanswered. Uh, and this was a tough game after a tough loss in Dallas where there could have been a hangover effect and there wasn't. So even though they blew a lead, which is a concern, I think the fact that the Revs came out and punched Columbus first and then punched them a second time and, and took a 2 nothing lead here, um, I, I think that's a really, really good thing that they were able to turn the ship around. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of saying a little... A little hesitation because they need three points from Toronto on Wednesday. But if they come away with a draw in Columbus and then a nice, comfortable, you know, three points on Wednesday against a terrible TFC team, as you said, Julian, um, I think everyone should be happy with that. So uh, even though there are some mistakes and some weaknesses, I'm feeling really, really good about this team. And they they rise to the occasion. And I think that's a really positive thing. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think all those are really great points. And I also believe that getting a win against Toronto will write the ship for the team and kind of get the, you know, get, get the bad taste out from the Dallas loss and uh, dropping the two goal lead in Columbus. Um, This team is where it is for a reason. They've been perfect at home and they find ways to score goals and get points on the road. I will say that if this recent four game stretch is not an anomaly and that there are in fact issues with the back line that, um, require more than just simple tinkering and adjustments that being the sort of team that gives up two goals a game for four games straight is not sustainable and that teams like Orlando and Philadelphia will catch up eventually. But for now, um, I, I think the, the revolution have sort of earned the right, even though they just coughed up that two goal lead uh, to sort of keep proving doubters wrong and, and to say that, you know, they're the best team in the conference. They have the best record. And, and like you said, they've been finding ways to score goals and get points. Yeah, and, and it's kind of weird because I, I kind of, as a cross-sport reference here, I kind of feel the same way about the Red Sox, where the Red Sox have some holes in their lineup and in their pitching staff that you kind of say, this team is not going to win the World Series with this person here. Or they're getting away with a lot of things here. Or they're winning a lot of one-run one games and all that. And I kind of feel that with the Revolution, too, where they're in first place. I feel like they're deserving of first place. But in the same breath, you see them make mistakes um, like they did against Dallas. Or you see them blow a two-goal lead in Columbus. And you say, this isn't going to work for the playoffs. Um, you need your best performances. And while I think this is a very good, strong team and a mentally strong team, um, I feel like they aren't getting their best performances, especially defensively. So, um yeah, I don't know if that's just a matter of they're in a bit of a rough patch and hopefully they hit their stride in playoff time. But overall, I think you can't question the mentality of the team and they're creating a lot of chances. They seem to be clicking on all cylinders. Hopefully when Buchanan goes off to the Gold Cup, ho- hopefully they're still able to create goals and, and some chances, which I think they will. But um, yeah, I, I think they're just in a really, really good spot. And there are some concerns and some holes that people are complaining about. But overall, I I think the Revs are in a really, really good spot, and they've set themselves up for uh, success later. Um, I did want to talk really quickly, though, talking about uh, Tejan Buchanan and Matt Turner. They are leaving. Uh, they are going to be out, I think, at least four games. I would have to go back to the calendar and look. I didn't write that down before the episode. That is probably a mistake on my part. But they're going to be out probably about a month. Uh, and the Revs are going to be without their star goalkeeper uh, and a very, very dangerous offensive weapon down on the wing. Uh, Julian, how concerned are you about missing Matt Turner and Tejon Buchanan? Uh, well, 
given that Matt Turner is probably the best goalkeeper in the league, it's concerning. Um, he's made several saves in these close games that we've been talking about that flip results. Um, now, Brad Knighton is a more than serviceable backup, and I think that mentally he probably knows that he's in that role backing up Turner. So it's not totally the end of the world, but anyone who's seen this team for the last three years knows that Matt Turner is certainly the better option uh, to Brad Knighton. And so there is that added vulnerability. With Tejon Buchanan, I think it's a little bit more tactical. Obviously, he's an important piece for creating chances on the wing. Uh, He's been very prolific in the last month and a half, especially. And he's sort of like the maybe the story of the Revolution roster in the last 18 months, at least since uh, the the playoffs, right? He was he was sort of the story of the playoffs for the Revolution, and then came in and really seemed to continue his momentum this season. Um, I think that there is a way to make up for Buchanan's absence more than there is for Turner's. Um, that said, I I think Bruce Arena will have planned for this, and um, I think he'll be willing to kind of shake up the decks a little bit and give Knighton some confidence heading into this stretch. Um, basically knowing that he's the guy between the pipes and that it's, it's going to be his responsibility to shepherd this back line. Yeah. It's going to be a very big test for Knighton, but we've seen him come in and be a backup. And, you know, that's why you have a Brad Knighton on your team in the, in the event of an injury or in the case, you know, Turner is out for a few games. So it will be a challenge, especially with the way the back line has been playing recently. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I have a lot more concern about the goalkeeping position uh, than I do on the wings. I, I also will say too about Tejan uh, missing the next few games. If you look at the schedule, home versus Toronto, I don't think that's particularly a challenging game. That should be a win from the revolution perspective. Then you go on the road at Atlanta. I bet that'll be a tough game. I mean, it's never easy going to Atlanta. Um, Inter-Miami, which I don't think they're having a particularly good season. Then home versus Montreal. So those are your next four games. So I think this is a really, really big moment for Teal Bunbury, who I'm sure will see a ton of those minutes on the right wing. I bet we see a little bit more of him uh, and and get him more involved. Those are going to be some very, very key minutes to how much he's going to play down the stretch if he's going to earn a spot. Uh, I'm going to want to see a lot from Tristison, who I'm sure is going to be rotating in on that left wing in and out. Um, I'd like to see Emma Boateng here and there. I'm sure we'll see a couple cameos from him. So I think there are three players that really need to show up for these games. And these aren't necessarily the toughest games for them to make an impact. So um, I think we're going to learn a lot about the depth of this team uh, offensively over the next few weeks, uh, which I'm a little bit excited about. Uh, And then hopefully we have more answers than questions uh, when those players return. So um, I did want to ask one more thing before we get to listener questions here. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, Tommy McNamara starting at left wing uh, or left mid, uh, depending on how you view it. But uh, Tommy Mack gets the start on the left over Tristesen. Um, we got a question from Paul Girard who says, I don't understand why Tommy Mack started out there. Uh, he didn't have many dribbles forward or much link up play with heel or bow. Uh, with two defensive midfielders playing centrally, the Revs have to generate attacks on the wings. But McNamara was an offensive black hole. Uh, and someone also commented that it shows there isn't a good option there in Bruce's mind. Uh, so real quick, uh, did you, what were your thoughts on starting Tommy McNamara on the left wing? And, you know, what did you think of his performance? Well, I, I think that based on his recent form, Tommy McNamara should be starting. 
whether it's on the left, uh, I'm not so sure about that. And um, my sense is that that this is a game that Arnold Tristan probably should start. You know, he, he should be a starter in general. Um, for me, though, you know, he's had a tough season. I think that's obvious. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I think he's very similar right now to how Adam Buxa was last year, where you've got these two really strong technical players who, for whatever reason, are just struggling to make an impact in a, in a new league. Um, maybe getting benched is sort of the, the motivation or cause the motivation that, that Trustison needs to sort of break through this early period uh, in MLS where he's still getting used to everything and um, I don't know. You mentioned Emmanuel Boateng in the last question. I'm very surprised that we've seen basically none of him. Um, I, I think he would have made a little bit more sense than, uh, than McNamara or even having uh, Teal Bunbury over there. So um, I think this is also just a, a case of, of Bruce maybe being a, a motivator. We know that he, he's very good at that, but um, Trustison in general is someone that you really want more out of. Yeah, and the McNamara move really to me, I think part of it is Tristison has not played amazing so far this season. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of secrets there that he isn't as good as advertised. Um, but it kind of struck me as more of a defensive move as well. Um, and we did see Dewan get up and kind of get into the attacking areas. So maybe. They were just hoping that Tommy Mack would kind of play, you know, kind of more centrally and let Dewan go down the wings and, you know, kind of just Tommy Mack could kind of stay back and cover for him. But, you know, overall, I, I don't know. I, I didn't really understand that move too, too much either. Um, but I think Tristison, you know, we talked about Andrew Farrell. You know, if this is the center back group, Andrew Farrell kind of has to hit his stride and, and really step up. I think Tristison is another player that needs to step up. Um, out of curiosity, Julian, you know, the, the window is opening. Do you think left wing or left mid uh, is a spot that they might be improving over uh, the, the summer window? Or do you think that they're going to ride it out with Tristison and uh, see what they can make of him? I think that this continues to be a long-term position for the revolution. And I don't know if Bruce is going to want to necessarily bring someone in mid-season because that's an impact position. You're going to need in all likelihood, a TAM player to come in. Um, and then you just create all, all sorts of competition with Tristison, which may not be a bad thing, but um, based on the way Bruce gave Christian Pena a lot of time, based on how highly he's spoken of Arnold Tristison, I sort of think that the position is still Tristison's. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think that there, that there are other areas that they want to improve too. I mean, I think that that, deep lying central midfield position next to Matt Polster and behind Carlos Hill is arguably the, the bigger area of need. I don't think that they're getting what they want from Wilfred Captum. Uh, and, you know, I don't think Maciel is capable of starting every game. So uh, th that's just me in, in terms of the, the biggest needs right now. No, I, I agree. And I think the interesting thing about that is will Captum get healthy and will he make a big impact? Because I think, Captoom, if you look at the offseason signings, I mean, him and Tristison, I think, were supposed to be the two impact signings. Um, and Tristison has been more or less a dud, and Captoom hasn't really been on the field. So I wonder if that spot is an area they try to improve, or if they're hopeful that Captoom 
you know, get, gets healthy and he is what they were hoping and expecting. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how they address it and what what position they address first. Because um, I think there are three positions, center back, central midfield, and then left wing, that you could make a really, really strong argument that that is the area of need the most. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see what Bruce goes after uh, first. And, and uh, you know, he's going to address the weaknesses on this team. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how they go. Before we get into listener questions, we wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Glasso Kits. Galasso Kits has a wide-ranging selection of jerseys, shirts, shorts, scarves, and general merchandise for every fan, whether you are a collector or a casual fan. With items from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries, Galasso Kits has something for you. Need some U.S. men's national team merch for the upcoming Gold Cup? Galasso has jerseys, t-shirts, jackets, and hats from 1996 to 2019. Maybe you want to cross over to the dark side this year and support our friends up north because of Tejan Buchanan? Check out the 2019 Canadians men's national team home kit available right now. And with the Olympics coming up, don't forget about the women's national team. A 2020-21 road kit in new condition is available right now for $29.99. And if you can't decide, there's also a mystery kit option where you can put in your size and what you were looking for, and you get matched up with the kit of your dreams. And not only are these shirts affordable and at competitive rates, but if you use promo code REVSRECAP at checkout, you get 15% off your order. That's promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off your order at galassokits.com. The code and website are available in the show notes of this episode. Thank you again to Galasso Kits for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, first listener question. We got a question from Eric who says, a point one or two points lost. Uh, and regardless of the, the Zardes push, uh, was it a communication error that kept both Turner and Farrell from clearing that ball? We kind of covered that one a little bit. Um, and I think you and I both agree that there should have been a little bit more better communication. But it's really hard to, to blame them because it's not like that. It's something they practice. It was kind of just chaos. And I don't think either one of them was sure they were going to be able to clear it. And so I think they both kind of figured, you know, <laughs> they'd, they'd both make a run for it and hope, hope for the best. But um, in your opinion, Julian, was this a point one or was this two points lost? Uh, I'm going to say this is two points lost. Um, they did have a two goal lead. And like I said before, I actually don't think the pivotal, the pivotal moment was Columbus's second goal. I think it was their first I think If that doesn't go in and that's defended a little bit better. And I don't think that play was defended very well. We're looking at a very, very different result. Um, so for that reason, and that reason only, I'm going to say two points lost. Actually, one thing we didn't talk about earlier, but on that first goal, I guess I didn't go much in that first goal. In my mind, if someone has taken a shot from outside of the box and it's not a screamer, I'm really confident Matt Turner makes the save and he didn't make the save. So it wasn't well defended, but part of me was shocked that it got by. I mean, Matt Turner, I don't think you can put too much blame on him. It was a very well-placed shot, but I was stunned he wasn't able to get to it just because I, I think I naturally just assume that everything... Any shot like that, he, he's going to end up getting to. So I was, yeah, that, that first goal was a real backbreaker, I think, be, between the timing of it. Uh, it allowed Columbus to get back into the game. And really just, it seemed like a shot that you didn't expect to go in, at least from my mind. I, I was kind of stunned it trickled in. So, um, yeah, I, I, I will say, though, I took the glass half full. I think this is a point one. The Revs could have come out. They could have had no energy. Columbus came out with some really, really strong chances in the first five minutes of this game. Uh, the, the Revs could have been deer in the headlights. They could have packed it up. They could have ended up losing 3-1. Um, they could have, you know, had the Dallas hangover effect. Uh, you know, it, it was a tough road game. And, you know, the most of that, they won the first half pretty handily. So I, I give the, I, I know a lot of people are looking at this as two points lost because they blew that two-goal lead. Um 
But, uh, you know, I, I think there you have to give a lot of credit to the mentality and the way the Revs came out uh, and the way they, they scored two goals early. So um, I'm, I'm going to be glass half full and say a point one, uh, although I'm well aware I'm in the minority opinion uh, after that game. So uh, Eric also asks us thoughts on Captoom's minutes. Uh, almost greatness with that volleyed shot. Um, it's not a whole lot to go off of, but Julian, uh, what were your thoughts on Captoom in this game? I mean, he's coming in, and it's clear that he's a very strong technical player, but I don't think that he is yet melding into this team's tactics the way anyone would have expected You know, earlier this season. There were big expectations of this player, um, and we just haven't seen them come to fruition. So almost greatness on the volley, but uh, so far not really much of a, of a contribution overall. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think this is the biggest question mark because I think this could have been, this still could be a great player that we just haven't seen enough of. Uh, but I also could see this being a guy that's plagued by injuries all year and doesn't make much of an impact. So, hope I, I I think he's had one start and maybe three appearances or two appearances. I, I think he's still around like seventy or eighty minutes. So um, it's tough to kind of judge until we get a full ninety minutes. But yeah, nothing has really wowed me so far. Um, I think that whole that that spot next to Polster, you can kind of say that about everyone. You have Tommy Mack, you have Masiel, uh, and they've put in some good performances here and there. But nothing's totally wowed me, and I think they're still looking for that piece. So maybe that's Captoom, uh, but maybe not. But yeah, I, I agree. Nothing nothing from this Columbus game really stood out to me as um, you know the guy. So. Uh, TSB11 asks, the Revs seem to play ex- almost exclusively through the wings and always very direct. Is this a Bruce thing or is our midfield just not very good? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Julian? Uh, you know, I, I could see why you would ask, you would ask that. Um, I don't actually think they only play through the wings, though. Um, although dominant wing play is sort of a hallmark of Bruce Arena teams. I, but, but in general, I, I would say that um, having Carlos Heel drop back and be able to create chances from either deep in midfield or just outside the box sort of means that their engine is, is operating from, from the center of the pitch. Um, so I don't really buy that they're only creating chances from the flanks. Yeah, and the only other thing I'd add too, because you said it very well, but I'd also add that I think they have some very dangerous wing players. So I think that might be why it seems more dangerous this year. Um, you know, I think Dewan Jones, there was an article in the Bent Musket about Dewan Jones having a very strong season season. Um, you know, he had a very pretty good cross with his left foot. And if he learns to cross with his left foot, you know, he's a lot better at left back. I mean, he, he's a pretty good left back because he, he has all this raw athleticism. I mean, if he turns into someone who is going to be able to dangerously cross the ball, um, you know, that, that's a real problem for defenses. Uh, and you have Tejon Buchanan on that right side, too. I mean, that's just a very, very strong winger. So I think part of it is, you know, it is maybe a Bruce thing, and maybe our midfield is, quote-unquote, weaker. But I, I think they just have strong wingers, and they're able to generate chances from those areas. So um, it, it's hard for me to bash the midfield, although, as, as we've mentioned, I think they could use a little bit more uh, strength in that position. So, um, oh, we did have one more question here. Actually, it's not really a question, but... Uh, just a thought uh, on Dewan. Uh, Paulo says Diaz is an international caliber player, uh, and Dewan handled him nicely. Dewan is having a potential breakout year, in my opinion. Uh, and I just kind of have some stats I want to rattle off here. He obviously has an assist, seventy-three percent passing. He was one for one on cross- crosses, forty-nine touches, but he was also eight for thirteen on duels, uh, four clearances. 
Uh, still not a great tackle percentage. He was two for seven on tackles, but um, obviously he did a really, really nice job on Diaz uh, and kind of minimizing uh, his impact in this game. Um, Julian, what's your thoughts on Dewan? Do you think he might be the answer full-time at left back? Because um, it seems like year after year, he's impressing more and more at that spot. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he, he's definitely the prohibitive favorite to keep that position for the rest of the year. We, had, we came in with big expectations, at least I did, of uh, Christian Mafla. I thought he'd be the starter day one. Uh, and then, you know, reality sort of set in. But I was also, back when I was thinking that Mafla would be the go-to starter, I was sort of, uh, sad isn't the right word, but I, 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 was, I, was, I felt a little bad for, for Dewan Jones because I thought that he, he had um, done some really great things on the flank. Uh, and I'm glad that he's getting time right now. I, I think that, like you said, his crossing does need to improve. And I think it's positional awareness at very specific times of, of the game, um, either when there are a lot of numbers forward or he has to get back, um, needs some improvement. But there's no reason why he can't keep the starting job for the rest of the season and beyond. Yeah, and, and every year he seems to be getting better. I mean, that's not a role that he played in college. He kind of was, you know... I don't want to say forced into that left back role, but he kind of made his way over there and he's making it his own. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the situation with Mafla is, but, you know, he, he also hasn't missed any games. Dewan has not missed many games since mafla has been out. So game in and game out, I mean, there's been very few performances. I guess the opening game against Chicago, there was kind of a bit of a miss, mess on that left side. But I'm trying to think of many, if how many goals were Dewan's responsibility and I'm drawing a blank. I'm sure our listeners will correct me uh, tomorrow in my Twitter mentions. But, yeah, I, I just think he's getting better and better overall. And as I say, um, you know, my old criticism of him was, okay, he can run fast down the flanks, but then what? You know, if he's stuck in the corner, he's stuck in the corner. But, um, you know, if he's able to start crossing, especially with his left foot, that is a real problem. He's going to be a very, very dangerous wingback in the league. So, um, yeah, agree, agree with everything you said there. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch him uh, uh, get better. Um, the only other comment we had is uh, from James Downing, uh, who says that uh, Diego scored again and the better Buxa uh, signed for Genoa. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but he signed in Syria A. Uh, so that's just one more kind of note we should end on that Diego Fagundes scored again. So nice to see him thriving in Austin. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Julian, but uh, Diego Fagundes having a resurgence down south. So, uh, Well, two points I'll make on that is that number one, um, I think all players, Diego Fagundes especially, can sometimes benefit from a change of scenery, and I think we're seeing that right now. And while it is nice to see him do well, um, I am still of the opinion that he is a streaky player and that uh, he will continue to be that until proven otherwise. So we'll see. We'll, 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 look, at his, we'll look at his contributions uh, game by game uh, at the end of the regular season and see, you know, how things actually worked out for him. I will also add on to that, that he would not have, and it kind of goes with your first point. He would not have ever regained this form in new England. I think his time in new England was over. Anyone who's ever been at a bad job that you can't wait to leave knows that you go in and, you know, things just don't feel right. You know, you don't perform at your best. 
And I think Diego and the New England Revolution passed that point a long, long time ago. And I think the Revs are, I mean, obviously there was some turnover in the coaching staff and the front office, and he was on a very team-friendly contract, so they really had no real need to push him out the door. Um, But I I think his time to leave was years ago, uh, and I'm not totally surprised that he is doing well uh, in Austin. It kind of makes me wonder what would have happened if they, you know, the Revolution found a trade partner and he left a little bit earlier. Maybe he'd be having this resurgence at 23 instead of 25, but... Um, I digress. As you said, he is a streaky player. Uh, let's see where he is after 30 games instead of 12. Uh, we might be having a totally different conversation. So uh, that wraps us up. Uh, Julian, before we go, do you have any final thoughts? And uh, also give people, uh, give our kind listeners where they can find you on social media. Definitely. Uh, well, Greg, this is a great conversation and uh, I'm really glad to have been able to come on. Um, I got to have you on Revs Confidential and other members of the Revs Media Corps. Uh, it's a big family. I, I don't consider you guys competitors. I consider you guys colleagues and peers. And ultimately, um, you know, more attention on soccer in New England is positive. Uh, and I'm glad that we both are in positions uh, to run outlets where we can uh, connect fans new and old with the team. Uh, if you want to find me, just find me on Twitter at Julian Cardillo. And um, consider checking out Revs Confidential on Patreon. Yeah, and and just to kind of extend there, Revs Confidential, it's a free podcast, but if you want, you can subscribe to their Patreon. Uh, I believe it's $2 a month, but $5 a month, and you get to be in the Galazzo tier, and you have a monthly chat, and I'm a part of that. So if you ever want to talk with me and Julian about the Revs, uh, come on in. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. We'll have more conversations like this. And Frank DeLapp is there, which is incredible. Uh, I mean, you talk about someone who's basically everything there is about New England soccer. Um, it's, a re- it's a lot of fun. So uh, yeah, check out Revs Confidential and consider subscribing to their Patreon. Uh, it's really great. And Julian, I'm a listener of your show. I love your show. Uh, you know, we need more Revs talk. And so I'm really glad you uh, have joined the uh, Revolution Podcast core, I guess you could say, whatever it's called. Because, uh, you know, you're, you're adding to the Revolution talk, and I'm sure a, a lot of our listeners already listen to you. But if you're not, uh, be sure to check them out. So um, you can find us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. You can also like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, And if you'd like to support our podcast, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, And also check out Galaco Kits at galacokits.com, which is available in the show notes. And remember, you can get 15% off your order with promo code REVSRECAP. The Revs host Toronto FC on Wednesday. I'm pretty confident we won't have a podcast on that match. Uh, But we will be back in two weeks to recap the Atlanta United-New England Revolution game on Saturday, July 17th. So until then, thank you everyone for listening, and go Revs.